You're listening to the Hanging with the AD podcast, where we break down hot topics in athletic administration and lessons learned through leadership. And now, here are your hosts, Josh Matthews and Don Baker. Today, we head back to the college ranks to sit down with the Power Five's youngest AD and 38-year-old Graham Neff of Clemson. But don't let the age fool you. He's one of the brightest stars in the profession who has helped develop several key areas of the department, including the financial philosophy, fundraising, student-athlete welfare, and external operations management, and in 2019 was named one of Sports Business Daily's power players. Let's settle in and get to know Mr. Graham Neff. All right, Mr. Neff, we're so glad to have you joining Don and me for this episode of Hanging with the AD. It's always a pleasure when we have the privilege to sit down with a collegiate athletic director. We know your schedule is extremely full up there at Clemson. So thanks for taking time to join us today. Josh, Don, really excited about it, um, truly. And um, yeah, there is a whole lot going on in in college athletics and and, right, probably never a a moment of more uncertainty. And I'm new to this this role. And so I'm certainly getting settled and, and, and growing into the role here at Clemson, let alone just amongst colleagues. Wow, it's an industry that's, um, you know, a lot of uncertainty and, and change at hand. So um, love the time. Appreciate the time. Love uh, to talk on that, you know, uh, high and low and, and wherever the conversation may go. Well, appreciate it. Thank you. So every year we try to do a, an episode with a an athletic director who's finishing his or her first year. We call it the first year AD episode. This is not that episode because you haven't even got there yet. So uh, we appreciate you joining us. And, and for our listeners, Mr. Graham Neff was named Clemson's 14th Director of Athletics on December 23rd, 2021, less than a year ago, uh, in the midst of his ninth year there at Clemson. The uh, the 38-year-old has been in senior leadership positions with Clemson Athletics since 2013, including Chief Financial Officer and Director of Capital Projects, prior to his most recent role as Deputy Director of Athletics. But I'm going to stop right there and let uh, Graham tell us a little bit more about his journey through athletics which uh, for our local folks listening in Georgia, uh, you, you'll, you may know his name. He's a local product from Parkview High School over in Gwinnett County. So uh, he'll probably share that with us. But uh, it's cool to have a, a D1 college athletic director who uh, grew up among us here in Georgia. Uh, Graham, we call this the back of the baseball card bio. So just a brief uh, bio of maybe what Graham Neff's baseball card might look like. Gosh, the stats would be lean, um, I, but I did grow up in, you know, really in Gwinnett County, um, Lilburn area, Stone Mountain um, for, for much of my adolescent life. Um, played all the sports right, kind of recreationally. Um, in high school, I swam. I was on the swim team. We won um, a couple of state championships, um, and I was probably a marginal contributor. Um, but certainly our, our athletics program at Parkview now, but even certainly in that, that time or era that I was there, um, was really special. I did graduate with Jeff uh, Francoeur, who's still a, a good friend and a Clemson signee, I would say. So he, uh, Jeff right. loves, loves his Tigers um, and him and, Co- and I'll tell a quick story and then I'll get back to the baseball card, Josh. I'm sorry. Um, my first, so nine plus years ago now, my first day on the job here at Clemson as the, in the CFO role, Monday morning, right, um, was with one of our football um, staff members and I go over to meet Coach Sweeney. I'd never, you know, met him before and, and first day and I, I was in a, you know, leadership role and it's football coach and really important. So I go over and um, kind of walking across the, or down the um, the office to where Coach was behind his desk and introduce myself. And uh, like most coaches do, particularly in the collegiate level, 
um, well, where are you from? Where'd you go to high school? You know, cause he's thinking, well, I know the, the football coach or assistant coach or the AD or whatever. Um, I said, well, I'm from Gwinnett County Parkview or Lilburn went to Parkview. He goes, Oh, his first thing was, Oh, you already got all the gear you need because Parkview Panthers and it was right. orange and blue and we had to paw. Yeah. And so that is, so it was his instinct and his knowledge from the high school ranks was, um, was strong. And then the next thing he said after that, after we chuckled was, well, do you know, Jeff? Cause coach Sweeney was a wideout coach at the time that recruited Gwinnett County and recruited Frank Orr to come to Clemson, um, to play defensive back. And so, um, and they had stayed in touch and so, and Jeff and I grew up together, so to speak, and it, it continued to stay in touch. So anyway, so for me, it was immediate, um, connection point, um, here at Clemson, let alone for coach Sweeney. And it's just been really cool to, to stay in touch with Jeff in a little bit of a different lens of, of kind of Clemson connection and background and, and those type of things, particularly for what his his college or his high school um, athletic career was. So long winded um, kind of tangent there. Growing up in Gwinnett um, area, loved it there. Went to school at Georgia Tech. Um, uh, as an, I actually grew up as a Georgia Tech fan, which is um, probably atypical in the in the great state of Georgia. There's a lot of bulldogs <laughs> around. Um, well, I was a manager on the basketball team when I was an undergrad, so that was kind of my inclusion to collegiate athletics as a student manager. Um, my sophomore year is actually when we went to the the final four of the national championship game, um, Georgia Tech did. Um, and so I got to know a lot of the staff um, there at the time and in administration. While I uh, graduated my degrees in engineering, there's probably not a whole lot of there are not a whole lot of, you know, engineers, at least by by degree in athletics or college athletics. So I think it's something that I've certainly you know, have some pride in. And, and, and I think it, it speaks to a little bit of maybe how I go about like, you know, the line of thinking or the, the business side of um, of my job, because I added an MBA from Georgia Tech as well. Worked for Deloitte and Touche for a couple of years in Atlanta. So kind of outside of athletics and in a corporate um, role, which again, I feel like I learned a lot that I was, I'm able to, to transfer to an athletics, you know, environment. Um, and then from there worked at Georgia Tech in the athletic department, uh, Middle Tennessee State uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee near Nashville. Um, for a couple of years. And then, as you said, Josh, Josh has been here um, at Clemson for nine years in, in a growing role. So, you know, like we all are a product of, you know, all of those maybe stops along the way or different lenses and, and people um, and environments. And so, you know, here at Clemson for nine years has been an awesome nine years on the field and off um, new new role for me here over the past couple of months that I'm rolling up the sleeves and, and finishing my first semester. Josh, that's probably what I'll that's say. Right. Not first year, first semester. Um, and there's a lot at hand to, uh, to keep going on. That's really good. Now, Graham, you're surrounded by very successful veteran coaches there at Clemson. So the success of Dabo Swinney, that speaks for itself. Men's soccer coach, Mike Noonan, uh, received a contract extension on the heels of a national championship. At the end of the day, we can't hide your headshot, right? So you're, you are currently 38 years old, leading this highly successful season staff in many respects. What would you tell a young leader like yourself who's entering a situation where the majority of those that they're going to be leading are going to be older than them and, and possibly performing at a high level? How have you navigated that? Perfect question. Um, it's something I, I think about a lot or have tried to be intentional or, or maybe thoughtful on a couple of things with it. First of all, uniquely for for me, Coach Sweeney had a, had a very similar training. He was an internal – he was an interim for a little bit, right, a half a season right. and an internal hire that was – you know, was young. He was – 38 too, um, ironically. And so, and so how he was able to, in, in the program, you know, what he took over and, and ultimately why he, you know, was at least a viable candidate for the job. It wasn't broken, you know, a lot of success, you know, and it was Clemson football, but there was some desire for, you know, obviously some, some, um, a, a little bit of a different, a different uh, perspective on it. So my point is, you know, so coach Sweeney has been a resource for me, you know, over the years, 
directly or indirectly just kind of on, you know, things he learned or, or understanding some of his um, transition, internal transition points there. I would tell you one of the things um, for me from an internal standpoint um, that I, I think about a lot or it's been, you know, it's been, it's just different is you go from being one of, one of the guys, so to speak, on a leadership team or whatever, to being the guy. And that's, and that's very different. You drop, you know, you, you change those, those pronouns a little bit and it's very different relationally and, and decision-making and those type of things. Um, but you have the, the, the strength of having those relationships, having some of the context or history or having your own view on, on opportunities and, and, and weaknesses and things like that. So, um, so A, to answer your question, Don, in two phrases or two, two senses, one is that of just kind of leaning on those, re- their experiences because they've, you know, they've been there. Um, they've been first-time head coaches at times, and so they, they they can appreciate that. But you're right. The second answer, the second part to to answer your question, is that like, yeah, I, you know, they know the the org chart too, and so like, yeah, if I'm at the the you know at, at some point at the top of it, there's that there's that appreciation for you know call it chain of command or, or leadership. But how I view it, you know, and, and I've been really candid with them and direct is like, yeah, listen, I'm a teammate here. I, I'm not you know, going to, what, what am I to really teach, you know, coach Sweeney really yeah, and, and right. Mike won national championships. So like my, my perspective is, you know, I, I sure I ask questions, uh, but I'm just, I'm a teammate with them and I have that incredible amount of trust and support and, and focus for them to grow their, run their programs and, and push for things that they need. And I need to, to um, meet them where they are on, on support and resources for the program. And so like, I just view it as a great partnership with them. And, and I learn a lot from them and, you know, develop that relationship and trust that they need to have back in me as ultimately as the, the department leader um, to help to provide and, and support them and, and their student athletes. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I think the key, you know, that you said there, because uh, I, I was in a similar situation on a lower scale here at Pope, but it's uh, ask questions. And, and I don't know that they did a good job of that early on, but ask those questions. Why you do it? What, why, why, why do you need these things? And, and not in a, uh, I don't want to do it for you way or a, a critical way, but just a, a comprehensive way. Right. So that's good. Ask questions. So uh, Graham, uh, we mentioned that you spent several years there at Clemson before being named director of athletics last December. Uh, and I recently read where Todd Stansberry, you mentioned being a Georgia tech guy, he had come back to Georgia tech as their uh, director of athletics recently. And uh, the article I read said that he spent much of his tenure uh, early on fact finding. Maybe your situation is unique, but as a new leader, how much time do you recommend the leader spend fact-finding before proceeding with changes that might start putting his or her own fingerprint on the organization? Is it different for someone like you who's moving up from within versus a new leader coming from the outside? Yeah, I think it is. Um, the, the latter part, that it, it is different. I've certainly, I, I probably approached it a little different knowing that by and large, I, I know the people here. I, I've been here nine years. I know the I know the the history, or at least the recent history. Um, I know the what's kind of in the the hopper or where the maybe the opportunities are. Um, so I think that there's a little bit like the learning curve in that regard is um, is flatter, um, I think. And so the opportunity perhaps to make bolder or significant decisions, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean personnel, right? We all jump to, hey, what about your coaches? You know, but like strategic organizational decisions. Um, again, I, I view that probably and to have a, have a, a, a flatter learning curve on that. I would tell you though, that like the, the, the balance of it is, is how, is how you go about managing your 
what the, um, not necessarily what the day is, but like where your priorities are. Uh, maybe better said, having been here nine years in, in you know, insurance in somewhat of progressive roles, but there was things that I needed to do and, and I think was pretty good at and was incredibly appropriate in that prior job, the, the number two person and even before that. But now that, you know, I changed position, there's things that are still, that still hit the desk or hit the phone that aren't necessarily, not that they're inappropriate, but it's just not sustainable or not, not uh, organizationally efficient, or at least even efficient for my time of the things that now I need to be maybe thinking of from a, a broader level or a wider level that, gosh, like need to make sure that organizationally for us, um, I'm tasking, delegating, tweaking, or, or adding to our staff um, to help manage those. Because while I was really good at that as an assistant coach or an assistant, you know, AD, what have you. And now like, you know, now you're the, the head coach or you're the AD and it's just a different job. It just is. And so the thing that, that comes up for me a lot or has, and, and for, you know, those listening ADs and coaches, like how do you, when there's an internal hire, so to speak, how do you, you got to replace yourself. Right. And so you got to go find, you got to go find a Graham and do, so to speak, do those things that, um, that you did so well, seemingly to have the opportunity to get the the promotion or the new job. You need that, you know, balanced with yourself. And so I, I found a lot of my time or my, your, your quote, Josh, from, from Stansberry of like just listening and, 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 and gathering feedback to sure. Like, I think you can move more quickly on that if it's an internal type hire, but you got to make sure you're, you're pairing and you're balancing your team to, to have a, have a good comprehensive view on for the organization of how you hear or gather feedback in a longer runway um, type of type of notion with it. Now, speaking of people, Brian Dixon in his book, Start With Your People, he asked, imagine if you could look at your life and work on being a mission for people. Imagine if your goals were to make their day and to help them win the day. Not only would your life be fulfilling, but you would get promoted, you get pats on the back, uh, and you would feel a sense of fulfillment far beyond anything that you've experienced before. And I don't disagree with that, but that's easy to say, but it's often harder to put into practice, right? And I think that most would would imagine that with all of the things that kind of fill up our schedules each and every day, it's very easy for us to lose sight of the people in the building and the people that we serve. Do you have anything in place to really help with this? Anything that you do to shift your attention back to your people when it seems you're drowning in the day-to-day and maybe get pulled away from them? Gosh, uh, I love the, um, the, the context for that, um, that setup. I do view, and, and a lot of us that you know are in these roles, whether you work for a, a public high school or public university or, or, or private, same same notion of like view it so much as like a public service role, and and that's kind of looking external to the organization in the sense of you know for us with with IPTE is our is our our um, booster base, our, our fundraising organization, and we have eighteen thousand, and then if you add you know letter winners and, and young alums and things like that, it's over twenty five thousand. Um, supporters, you know, that love the Tigers and that buy season tickets and want to win. And so, and so much of my role that, yeah, like it's literally somewhat public because there's media and there's message boards and those type of things. But I I view so much of the initiative or the drive that I would need to have to be to to position our organization um, for, for great success and doing it the right way and doing it that fits Clemson and keeping Clemson Clemson in a changing environment for those people for IPTE, for our, our, our donor base that have been tried and true and have the degrees and have been longtime supporters and ticket holders. And so I just have that intrinsic or internal obligation 
to support them, to be ser- to be servants in some regard, to be a servant in some regard, Don, to your question, to them. Um, and so that's that's externally facing. And so sure, that that probably prioritizes a little bit of my calendar with with external events or external, you know, perspective or feedback that that would get. So that's kind of the external facing kind of servant notion of it that, that you speak to, Don. But then also if you if you look internally, you know, to our 475 student athletes and our close to 290 um, employees, coaches and staff that, yeah, you know, like you just want to be everything to everybody. And that's not healthy is probably what you're intimating. And so how do you you prioritize that? It's not it's not easy. Uh, You know, you you start with the people. You have to have great staff that that are an extension um, of you and and that there's that the, the consistency of of thought. Or, or message um, there to support them, but the but the accessibility. I'm huge on, on the accessibility of it, and it's easy to say, yeah, op- doors always open, and and well, it's literally not. But like you know, the the notion of it is is important. But like how how that's managed within the organization and where your touch points are um, just takes takes time. It looks a little different at other places, but I think the the intentionality of that um, is something that that we think about a lot. You know, one of the things that you mentioned just a second ago, when you were talking about things hitting the desk, and I recently heard a conversation of a room full of leaders, and they were asked this question, why is control such a struggle for leaders? And the idea that if we want to do a few small things right, then we can do those ourselves. But if we want to do great things, we've got to delegate it in order to get them accomplished. How do you assess the things that need doing that you know something about that probably won't happen unless you take responsibility for it, as opposed to things that you can trust other people to do. I think every leader struggles with this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'll tell a quick story. And uh, I know Josh Brooks, the AD at Georgia has been a a prior guest. Uh, He's a a colleague, but one of my uh, closest friends in the industry. And so he and I were were talking about this uh, a couple months ago when I was um, just kind of new to this role. Um, And Josh said it, and Josh, like me, was was previously the the deputy, kind of the number two guy which is a, a really important leadership role, certainly within, you know, most, most departments. Um, and so have some prominence, had some authority, those type of things. Um, but it's just different when you're the AD or the head coach and his quick example is like, listen, if you walk down the hallway and maybe previously, you know, you could be on your phone or sending a text message and walk by somebody, not that you don't acknowledge them, but like, you know, just a quick, a quick, um, you know, brush by that was one thing, but if you're the AD and that happens like that, staff member is is probably going to take it a little differently. And so just like the very small behavioral uh, type of aspects, I think are feel more elevated um, to me now, now in a new role. So that being said, like, how, how do you, how do you prioritize those things, Don, your question? Like, I, I think it's just one of those of, of being incredibly present, you know, and, and, and being engaged in those type of things. So the behavioral side of things, when you show that engagement to to the little things, whether that's with your time or even if you're in the meeting and, and therefore your engagement with that, you can say, hey, this is important. You can say, hey, we need to, you know, set a timeline, set a priority. But the the level of engagement, because staff does know that the calendar is fleeting and your time is fleeting. And so when you show the investment of your time or you show the investment of engaged, asking questions, really pushing it. Um, that's, that's where I think there's the, the osmosis of that. Okay. What's a priority? Well, Graham's, you know, no, Graham's coming to the meeting or Graham called this meeting or Graham, you know, and so like that type of the the behavioral side of that to me helps to helps to dictate without like non-verbally of, of where the priorities are. Yeah, that's good. Be present, be engaged. That's really good stuff there. 
Uh, Graham, let's talk about fundraising. You mentioned IPTE there at Clemson's a big deal. Uh, I, you know, I've done a little bit of homework on it and it's pretty phenomenal, I think. And you mentioned some numbers there, 25,000 supporters that are a part of it probably in some way. Uh, I think if anybody did any research at all, they would say that IPTE has probably surpassed its original potential. That being said, we have a lot of high school athletic directors listening, as we talked about before we got on. Do you think there's a model of IPTE that would work at the high school level? And I guess basically what I'm asking, let's say you were a new high school athletic director. Would you create a similar model of IPTE at the high school level? I know and, and a lot of colleges have have different structures, too. But, I, you know, certainly um, having grown up in it, I know a lot of the you know dugout clubs or touchdown clubs are really important and really you know vibrant in places and um, to a lot of success. I think that the the extrapolation of IPTE from a high school standpoint, there's a lot of there could be a lot of um, carryover consistency because IPTE is so grassroots in 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 nature. IPTE stands for uh, I pay ten a year, which in 1934 when it was founded, the notion was, hey, you know, give what you get, give ten dollars. Like, and if we get a lot of volume of folks giving ten dollars, that's gonna um, that's gonna move the needle. And so while um, while IPTE certainly evolved, and yeah, we'd love to to um, you know you support us with ten dollars. It's probably not going to get you a great parking spot these days. But the <laughs> the, 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 the notion of it is um, is is still really part of the fabric here that we feel like we're we have a lot of folks that that are part of it. Eighteen thousand as as just from an annual fund membership within the college ranks is is incredibly strong, particularly for a school like Clemson that doesn't have a, a monster of a student body or living alums. We have 22,000 undergrads and about 160,000 living alums. And there's a lot of schools that we compete against that have factors of two and three and four of those numbers. And so for us to have as, as strong as active supporters, that those ratios are really are really telling. And again, it comes back to the fabric of, hey, give what you can. Give give $10 at grassroots in nature. And so I think when you take that to your point, Josh, to the to the high school level, where right, it's just it's it's tough. And as parents and they have and students in, in high school and families and and discretionary dollars, right? That we're all competing for and discretionary time. Gosh. So like just that grassroots nature. And then now, even if you're given $10 or maybe add a zero or whatever, but like that, the engagement level and what that can create to me, I think is where the success that we've seen with IPTE and what that looks like for the passion of our fan base, you know, could or, or, or um, is transferable to, to the high school level, um, so to speak. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, kind of what I took from that is think about what will move the needle. I mean, Clemson, y'all figured out what will move the needle. And it, 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 and I didn't realize it was all the way back to 1934, but at that point in time, it was $10 a year. And obviously, you need a little bit more to move the needle now at, at y'all's level. And probably a lot of high schools do too. So, uh, but uh, that's really cool. Get to the grassroots there. Now, going back to your first year, this is kind of our last question before we get into our two minute drill. Be it, being a new leader there um, in that big seat. Do you have any team building or leadership initiatives that you're planning to implement there at Clemson that might be applicable to athletic directors who are listening to this conversation? Yeah, we're going to, it's funny. I was, and I was a little late hopping on with you guys for a couple of reasons, but um, one, I was, we had a meeting earlier this morning um, with our, you know, we have a team, mental health is such a, such a um, important and, and um, 
uh, dire in, in some regard topic um, these days socially for us um, as a country, you know, let alone as a world. But when we hone it down here to, to athletes and, and student athletes, high school, college, gosh, like just so much pressure and, and, um, and difficulty and, and the mental performance side of things can be such a um, such a difference maker. So all that to be said, we, we've invested a lot within our sports performance and even sure clinical or sports psychology and then sure even clinical psychology for more, um, you know, personal issues. Um, so for those staff and expertise and resources that plug in with a lot of our coaches and teams. So for us, for the leadership team here is, um, you know, we're, we're adding to the team and tweaking some roles and I'm, you know, moving offices really wanted to be intentional about how we're, we're diving into that sort of treat um, this summer, which isn't a novel notion, right? And there's a lot of coaching staffs or leadership teams that do a retreat. Great. Um, but you know, for us, it, really intentional about, about the, about the what and the why, and we've never done that, you know, and that's not a knock on our prior leadership structure. It's just that I think there can be some intentionality for us, um, to, to, to take some time and really, you know, in a time in the summer, right. When we're the events are off or it's pre semester and you can afford to, to squirrel away for two days or a day and a half and a night and whatever, and do that. And, and just talk, uh, vision, um, big picture, um, but even the personal build side of things and how we're, if we're having a couple of new people to the team, certainly some of us are in different roles. And so how are we even furthering, you know, the proverbial get to know, but like ultimately in a lens of, of performance um, that how we, we can better understand um, our, our strengths and weaknesses and how we pair and match as a team and how that would help set us up for the, the priorities and strategic planning ahead. So that's one of the things, Josh, that we're going to do. And like I said, it's not a, I don't claim that to be, you know, a, a new wheel that's being invented, but like, it's, it's very intentional about it. And I think it's certainly a natural um, transition point for us with a new, new leadership team to do that. But, you know, it's something that a, I would expect or desire to continue for the out years, even when we're not new, so to speak. But then also I think for staff that have maybe been consistent and in place and in no rhythm, but gosh, it's a great, you know, kind of jumpstart or, you know, uh, change the spark plugs a little bit to a team and, and, and reinvigorate and those type of things. So it's one of those things for me, sure, new to a role, but even for the continuation of it, but even those that aren't new to a role or don't have necessarily a new leadership team, that I think it's a it's a great inflection point um, to, to get excited for an academic year ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we can all take that and figure out how to do a little retreat and uh, there's a lot of different directions you can go. Obviously you're trying to attack a couple of different problems there, but just like you said, to get to know you uh, and no matter how long you've been working with someone, you can probably learn something new about them um, and about your teammates. So that's really cool. So I, the, the intention for us is to change the environment too. Um, so we're going to, we're going to go off campus, right? Cause it's easy for us to huddle around a field house or our staff room and do that. Um, but it just kind of feels, if you change the environment, um, it, it just, it, it would, in my, my head would foster a little bit of a different type dialogue and, and task. So it's something that coach Sweeney um, is, is incredibly uh, diligent about. He's, this will be his 13th season as our head coach. So every July he calls it a hideaway in the staff, which has certainly grown in number um, with support staff. They all go and they basically hide away for four days um, and reinstall the culture, the values, the principles. So, Again, this will be my first off season and looking to start that. And Coach Sweeney, who's won at the highest level, and we've had he has a, the, one of the highest levels of staff. They go and roll up the sleeves and redo it, so to speak, every year. Um, and so the intentionality of to get started with it, let alone the continuation of it, or start with it. You know, even if you're midstream of a staff, 
Um, there's been a lot of things that I've learned and there's been a lot of success that goes with that, at least here with Clemson football that I'm trying to extrapolate to our administrative team. Yeah. Let me ask you a real quick in the weeds question there, four days of getting something very specific accomplished. If it's them, if it's two days in what you mentioned, that, that takes some planning, right? You can't just say we're t- going to retreat. We're going to whatever, wherever we're going, let's show up. And then all of a sudden you're there. What do we do? Oh, oh by the way, let's just start talking. You know, you, you got to have an agenda, right? When do you plan that as the leader? And, and are you planning it? Are you letting other people share in that planning? Yeah, I'm going to own it. Um, and this okay. goes back to Don, I think your question on how do you set the priorities? And, and my answer was kind of behaviorally and with time and engagement. And so, it's, it's my hideaway, so to speak, not in like a, not in a, um, right. an ego sense, but like, I need to set the tone. I need to set the agenda. I need to be the most engaged in how that would waterfall down to, to the staff. And so, so yeah, working on that now. Um, and, and it's not in my bones as an engineer to, to be working on something. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm an outputter, right? Here's, here's a spreadsheet. Here's the, here's the answer. Here's the decision. And so something that's setting an agenda and two day retreat, you know, like it's, it's kind of like the output isn't as tangible, right? We're not going right. to break in two days and great. Here's the, here's the deliverable. Um, but it's, it's, it's obviously it's culture setting, it's organizational setting. And so, but that intentionality of time and investment and, and me, me running the meeting, so to speak, uh, will be very comprehensive, but like setting the tone. Um, that's how I see it. And I think that's important for head coach, AD, whatever level it may be. Yeah. Great stuff. I think when, when we came up with that question originally, I think it was, uh, the answer was going to be a retreat. I think we had seen some of your stuff and, and realized you were going to do that. So kind of wanted you to speak on that. So we appreciate that, uh, insight of how, how to just get our team better and, uh, really appreciate your experience that you shared and, 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 um, just uh, the, all the knowledge you shared so far. So, yeah, we'd like to finish the show with a little two-minute drill, a little fun time. We'll get a little uh, a little off the series stuff here, and I'll let Don start start us off. Okay, Graham, we're going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. We want you to just tell us first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Love it. What was the first job you had ever, ever? Brewster's Ice Cream. I was I was a yeah ice cream scooper in Lilburn, Georgia, um, and I probably yeah packed on some LBs at that time of year or that that stage of life. But first job, yeah, swimmer can do that. But th- that's an awesome answer because once again it proves out the 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 great guest just lead us into the next question. Usually it doesn't happen in two minute drill, but it did here. What's your favorite ice cream topping? Come on, that was not the next that, question. That is, it's it, right it there on the paper. It's right here, right there it is on the paper. <laughs> curious. Cho- chocolate raspberry truffles from Brewster. So I'm kind of a chocolate guy, and yeah, chocolate raspberry truffles. Sure, that's it's kind of it's it's. Um, I don't know if that's hoity-toity, but that's my answer. Fantastic. Now it has been described as the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. Have you ran down the hill at Memorial Stadium? Not with 80,000 in the stands, but I'll try to get out in the mornings or at lunchtime and run some stadium stairs and things like that. So I always make sure to either run up the hill or run down the hill based on whatever my zigzags may be. So, yes, I have. Gotcha. That's that's tough there. All right. uh, What's one thing that can instantly make your day better? A good breakfast. I feel like if I have a breakfast meeting or if if I'm running late or if I eat the wrong carbs or whatever for for breakfast – I just I, I feel a little physically funked throughout the day versus I, normally I'll go with, you know, yogurt and coffee and a sh- some light eggs, some light. But if I if I if, if um 
so I guess I'm answering it in the antithesis, but like if I don't have the right kind of start of the day nutritionally, I'm just a little off. All right, now the next series of questions are going to be over under. So these are things that you consider overrated or underrated. And if you want to elaborate as to why, you can do that. So over under, plant based smoothies. I'll go underrated. I go underrated. My Kristen, my wife is a bit. She's a health nut, and so we have a lot of green smoothies that that come out of the blender of the nut household. Yeah, after your breakfast answer, I thought you'd say that. All right, <laughs> overrated, underrated, Taco Bell. Oh, that is underrated. My gosh, we the Neff House will, yeah, we'll, we'll work some Nachos Bells Grandes, yeah. <laughs> Over, under, TikTok. Oh, overrated. I'm not, yeah, not not on it, yep. All right, last one, over, under, scented candles. <laughs> um, underrated, particularly during the holiday season. I'm a big evergreen, pine, cinnamon guy. Holidays, it just gets me in the mood. I love scented candles. Good deal. What is something that takes up too much of your time? Um, probably um, well too much is is not the right answer but just like it it comes down to people right and personnel and so so much of your time maybe not too much so I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if I'm right answering of your question but like I feel like the more and more, you know, you, you, you grow in leadership positions, whether that's, you know, head coaches, ADs, like it just comes down to people and people problems, right? At some point, so maybe that takes up too much of your time if you don't want to, you know, hopefully you don't have as many problems, but just like investment with people, evaluation, fixing issues. So people appropriately, so probably just take up, find to take up so much of your time. And it's just really important, uh, good or bad. All right. My first year coaching was 2002. I, I'm a baseball guy. I coached baseball uh, until I got in this AD role. And in the first round of playoffs, I was at Centennial High School. We came over to Parkview. Jeff Francoeur hit a ball about 900 feet. And then he did it again against Laster in the finals. And, and, you know, they won a state championship again. But um, you've talked about Jeff Francoeur already. Can you give us a best Jeff Francoeur story? I would love to. Um, and, and I have a good And I, I too, was at Lassiter there. Um, That's right. Top County, right, Don? Um, yes. About 3,000 uh, other for, people there, too. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then <laughs> it'll be 30,000 coming up. The um, So here's my story with Jeff. The, um, fall semester, probably what, September, October of junior year of high school. So Park goes, um, everyone's going through your your class ring process you know you're ordering your class ring and then maybe you get it in the, the summer before your senior year so you have your senior year or whatever that's at least how we did it then and so some of us were, we're wrapping up maybe at fca or something we we're just kind of together there was maybe you know a handful of us uh, talking about hey you get a class ring what are you gonna get how you know da 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 and so jeff someone asked or I, you know jeff was talking about well between two football seasons, right? So it's it's junior year, and so it's like middle of football season. Um, so he, he says between two football seasons and two baseball seasons, I figure I have four chances to get a state championship ring. So I'm not going to order a class ring. So I'm, I want to win a state championship ring. Um, and Joker won four of them. Won two, you know, <laughs> won two football state championships as junior and senior, and two baseball state championships junior and senior. So I love telling that story on Jeff because they spoke to the confidence, but then just like ultimately the success. Um, that he had. So Jeff does not have a state champion or a, uh, a, a high school class ring, but he's got four state championship rings and they're in his drawer somewhere, I'm sure. Well, now he's got a World Series championship ring. That, no doubt. Uh, so, yeah. Good deal. Now, we have asked uh, our guest this season uh, this question. We've had a lot of fun with it. If we're coming to your house for dinner, what is on the menu? So if we get in the car today, we drive up there, what are we having tonight? 
Uh, Chris and I have three um, boys under six. Our oldest is five. He'll be six this summer. And then twin boys that will be three this summer. So the Neff house is wide open. So um, uh, there's probably, you know, chicken fingers and some, you know, some pouches, right? Um, for the, for the <laughs> um, but we love, I love getting on the grill. So we'll do burgers um, or some meat or some, um, always a salad back to your, your plant-based over underrated. So um, we'll mix it up. Kristen loves to cook. She's a, a great and healthy um, cook for her four boys in the house. Now, can you get on the grill and compete with Jared Benko? That's the question. Benko is a, is strong, and so he does. I have a Traeger, so I, I try. I, I dabble with brisket and things like that, but Jared um, Jared teaches me, so I'll usually hit him with some questions, to be honest with you, um, of, of those type of things. So he's strong. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an amateur, but I'm trying. Yeah, I different think, uh, different yeah, level. Yes, different right, level. All right, um, let's finish with this. It's our trademark question. Today, Graham Neff, you've been hanging with the ADs, but let's say you could hang out with anyone. Who would you hang out with and why? Boy, um, you know, I, I love – this is a Homer answer, but, like, here's the thing with, with, with Dabo, with Coach Sweeney. Like, he's, you know, funny name, was never a coordinator, like, funny interviews. So, like, when I first came to Clemson, that was nine years ago, I feel like that was a little bit of his, his um, you know, persona maybe. Kind of, gosh, kind of like this guy, but, I don't, like, what, what's he all about? And obviously now over the, the nine years, let alone his 12 years as a coach, like the success has, has, has shown itself. He's earned that. Um, but for him as a, as a person, as a, who you want to hang out with and have a Coca-Cola, like he's, he's as genuine and authentic and smart and, and just a fun hang um, kind of a guy. And so that's a Homer answer. And I know I'm here pushing, you know, Clemson and Clemson athletics to a lot of ADs and, and high school coaches, um, but like that's that's who he is, and that fits Clemson so well, and it's a big part of why you know I love and, and feel like fit Clemson so well. Um, and so you know he's a guy that that do enjoy and, and would 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 choose um, time and again to go um, have a Coca Cola or a burger and, and hang out with. Graham, thank you so much for the privilege of your time today. We love learning from our counterparts at the collegiate level. We know that you have experiences that we can learn from and relate to, and we're very grateful for that. So thanks again for sitting down with us today. Don and Josh, I really appreciate the invite and the opportunity to join the circle. Um, good to talk with you guys. Um, good luck this summer and in the fall um, to you and your listeners, and, and uh, go Tigers. Wow, what a great conversation with Clemson's AD, Graham Neff. Now, if you follow Clemson at all, you know the tremendous success they've had over the last five to ten years uh, over across their entire athletic program. And while Graham Neff's only been on this job for several months now, and he's young, but I think after this conversation, we know, we can tell that he has the skills, he has a leadership capacity, and the passion for the position to keep Clemson rolling in the right direction, maybe even take them to higher heights over the next few years. I really love what he said about as the leader, the small aspects and behaviors are viewed bigger. I think we can all agree with that, that We have to be engaged, as he said, in order to know what people are are thinking of our leadership, know what people want from our leadership, and understanding that just the minor behaviors can affect people in a variety of ways. And we have to be cognizant of that. I thought Graham talking about how we have to balance things, how we have to be intentional. It seems like we hear this from every 
top shelf leader, that we have to be intentional with everything we do, with our calendar. He talked about prioritizing things on our calendar, serving our communities. For him, it's a bigger stakeholder. It's his donors, but serving the people that are in our programs, our our associations. And uh, Graham was very specific and helpful for how to be intentional with that. Graham Neff, thanks for joining us. We wish the Tigers best of luck under your leadership there, and we'll continue to follow the successes that you lead them to. Now, as we ask always, if you could stop, pause, go to your platform, leave us a rating or review. It helps us get to other listeners. It helps us pop up the charts a little bit, and we, hey, we appreciate that. And if you could, uh, you know, write in a few words and tell us what you think about the Hanging with the AD podcast. And as always, thank you for spending your time hanging with the AD. Mm-hmm.